Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. verses 14 to 30, but I'm just going to read a few of these verses. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. The one who had received five talents went off at once and traded, <clears throat> traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And what a strange place to end that passage reading. Thank you for being here today. It is a rainy Sunday, so you are sturdy people for being here today. And you'll notice we have this gaping hole right about here because uh, we've got nearly 80 people who went to New Life Ranch for a fall retreat this year. By the way, it was the 20th edition of the Oklahoma City First Church trip out to New Life Ranch. Let me tell you a little bit about this Uh, a little bit about this event. So back in 2001, we decided what would it be like to take a trip that had a very specific purpose? And the specific purpose was to make sure that we surround kids with this, this language and this thought that we say all the time around here, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. What, what might it look like to take a trip that was meant to be an all-out vacation for students? What, what might that look like? Well, it would look like times of worship. By the way, we had a very bright, up-and-coming speaker. Perhaps you've heard of him. It's Jess Middendorf right over here. He was our speaker this year. I think he's going to make it, you guys. I do. I think he's going to make it. So we go out there and we, we worship, we gather around a campfire. Like some, it's really kind of neat to go out and, and see that some of the things that we, we started doing 20 some odd years ago, they're still doing. Like s'mores, <laughs> s'mores. Uh, the first time, the first couple of years, they're like, we, really, we get s'mores? Yeah, so we just sort of throw that out there. It's, again, we, we kind of want these kids to feel like it's been something of a vacation. There's water stuff to do out there. You can, you can actually paddle and kayak for hours one way or the other. There are very kind horses, very kind horses to, to ride out there, and there were some really neat um, pictures that were taken, thank you, Taylor, with, uh, of some of these kids as they do horseback riding, or they do this ropes course kind of thing, which is terrifying, but they really seem to like it. Uh, it's just really, it's really a good time. Um, and the whole point of the whole weekend is to try to say in so many different ways, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. And we take them to a retreat center because sometimes God whispers. Everybody aware of that? So we try to get folks away from the noise. 
away from the noise of their routines, and we try to get them out into a place that is beautiful enough. <clears throat> and some of the folks who go, like there are a couple of young folks who said, oh, we just, we like coming out here. And I said, why do you like coming out here? Because like, it's quiet. Well, when it's quiet, you can hear whispers. You can hear things that you couldn't have heard otherwise. And so they're out there and they're listening for the whispering voice of God. That was sort of the theme this year too. Are you listening? Are you listening? Are you listening to this God who has a very specific sort of message for you? And that message goes again like this. God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. On Sunday morning, they finish with a sunrise communion. They go up this hill, and it's typically it's kind of cold, so they travel all the way up this hill, and they go to the top for a, a sunrise communion. And, and it is an unapologetic, all-out effort to stop the world, to stop all of the noise, in the hopes that in that place, they might hear the whispering voice of God speak the gospel, the good news. And again, the good news is God loves. God loves. It has been my experience that the gospel is a participation team sport, first of all. That God loves is not meant to be an individual sport. It is a team sport, okay? And it is my observation over the years, especially during all of those years that I worked with young people, that if you could ever get a kid to drink deeply of that truth, that God's mind about her, him, is made up, and the news is good, if they could find some sense of worth there, as opposed uh, to the, the comparison game that we typically play, not just teens, by the way, right? Adults play it too, where the only good feelings I have about myself I have at somebody else's expense. Well, at least I'm not him. Or I'm better than her, right? In other words, if you could ever get a young person comfortable in her own skin, in his own skin. If you could ever get that person to a place where they understood themselves as they looked into the eyes of God, that person not only receives love at that point, I find those people to be capable of love. Does that make some sense? Like, if you show me a kid who is still kind of stuck in the comparison game, I will show you a kid who finds it hard to love sacrificially. I mean, because it, sometimes they just can't afford to. Like, if I love you and somehow then you, you slide up the scale and you gain points, it's going to be at my expense. Like, that, that person stuck in that game, first of all, that's a terrible way to live, amen? It's a terrible way to live. But man, the gospel sort of stops there. And remember, the gospel is God loves. So the whole project for Fall Retreat, the whole project for Oklahoma City First Church <laughs> is to bring people to this face-to-face -face personal understanding of the God whose mind about you is made up and the news is good so that, yes, you can feel in a very deep sense so that you can feel this love but then also so that you can live armed with that love in an open-handed sort of way. But let me, I'm gonna to introduce to you now an image that I hope that you will carry with you throughout the rest of the sermon and that we'll talk about again at the end. At the end of the service, you'll be asked to come down 
to approach somebody holding a plate of bread, but you'll be asked to come with your hands cupped, right? Your hands opened. Now, maybe what we haven't said often enough is this. Hey, <clears throat> once you receive the bread and the cup, the, the bread and the cup, that's not the time that I want you to start clenching your fists. I, I hope that the practice of having open hands as you approach the plate and the cup, I hope that, that becomes a body posture that you start to live with open hands. Not hiding, not hoarding, but you live this gospel, and the gospel is God loves with open hands, such that, with open hands, this love is something that you can receive, but then you also would then have the capacity to dispense this love. It may feel like it's the gospel just when you receive it. This may be problematic for some of you, but it's not actually the gospel until you dispense it. I, I want to say that one more time because some of you did not write that down. <clears throat> Listen, I want it to feel good, the deepest places where we live. <laughs> when you finally say, oh man, God loves me. I'm not sure that that is the completion of the gospel yet. It is part of it. Receiving the love of God is part of it. Dispensing the love of God completes the project of the gospel. It's pretty good. And so we have this very problematic parable to deal with today. I think the parable of the talents may be amongst the most abused passages in all of Scripture. Like, abused. I feel badly for these verses more specifically, I think I feel badly uh, uh, for God because God is portrayed in ugly ways when you read this as if this is a parable about God. Friends, I'm not sure this is a parable about God as much as it's a parable about us. I mean, we get lots wrong as it has to do with this very familiar passage, the parable of the talents, okay? Can I just walk you through a few things? having poured over this for a few weeks now with the help of some, some great folks, some of whom will be quoted later. Talents, that's money. That's not talent. It's not like, it's, it's not like America's got talent, right? Like the, the talents that are at issue here, I kind of regret the translation, actually. It, it, it would have been easier for us to read if it said, uh, instead of talents, huge bags of money. That's what this is about. This is not God saying, hey, if I gave you the gift of juggling, you should juggle for the kingdom. <laughs> Listen, if God has given you a gift to sing, to, to, to care, to, to speak, you should do that. You should lean into what it is that God has designed you to do. You should. It's just not this parable. This is also not a parable about fundraising. And I kind of wish it was. Because we really need the money, y'all. I wish this was a parable about fundraising, but it's not. You can't. Honestly, read this parable, preach this parable, parable, and say to people, listen, if you invest, God will give you 100% return. Now, I have heard TV preachers say that. Y'all, that's not true. 
It's not. In fact, way back when, in order to get 100% return on your investment all the way back then, you probably had to do so by exploiting other people. In fact, you should know this. As this parable is told in the ancient context, everybody kind of looks around the room going, yeah, I know. I don't like foreign investors. This is about foreign investors who had come in and purchased a lot of the, the Israelite lands only to disappear and try to make money off of somebody else's work. The man going on a journey isn't a very good Jesus. Please don't make that person into Jesus, right? First of all, he's absent. The book of Matthew starts with calling Jesus Emmanuel, which means, anybody know this? God with us. The book of Matthew ends with Jesus saying, I am with you always to the end of the age. The man going on a journey is gone. Second, <laughs> he is the kind of foreign investor and businessman, businessman that the ancient Jews hated. Their land was occupied, and not just in a military sort of sense, but also in a financial sense. You ever heard somebody complain about all the land that China's gobbling up? You ever heard somebody complain about that? Way back when, they were complaining about those Romans that keep buying our land. This is a God who honors the poor, who says right out loud in Luke, blessed are the poor. Now, Matthew says poor in spirit, but in Luke, y'all, it says blessed are the poor. The person in this parable makes the rich richer and the poor poorer. That's not what God does. Zero amens right there, Cindy. None. At the end of this parable, the foreign investor is so angry that somebody else didn't make huge profit for him, he gets so mad at this one who buries the gift that he calls him a worthless slave and throws him into what is called the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And does that sound like Jesus to anybody? Y'all, it's not. That sounds like the worst episode of Shark Tank I've ever heard. <laughs> so what do we do about this parable? If it's not about the guy who's gone, and if that's not Jesus, then what's the story about? And, and here's, here's the thing. I think it's about us. It's about those of us who have, in fact, received the gifts of grace. The gifts of the gospel, incalculable, invaluable gifts. Now, here's the question for us. Having been given the gifts of God and the very gift of God in Emmanuel, how are you doing with those gifts? Are you living with open hands or are you hiding and hoarding? Four. It is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves. But you know what? That's probably not a great word there. It probably should be more like stewards, maybe even board members for this giant corporation. Because to each one of these people, he gave five to one. He gave five talents to another two to another one, each according to his ability. Okay. Well, a talent would be, in today's terms, around half a million dollars per talent. Half a million. 
You don't just hand out half a million dollars to your slaves. I don't, at least, right? To these stewards, right? To people who are going to run the business. He hands out half a million dollars. To another one, a million dollars. To another one, two and a half million dollars. And he says to them, make money for me. Make money for me. Now, this would not be the only time in Scripture when the gospel, the gift of the gospel, was referred to in financial terms. This would not be the only time that we would understand the gospel as being of incalculable value, right? The treasure hidden in a field. The pearl of great price. Here, too, it seems to be, Jesus is saying, you've been given a gift. What are you doing with this gift? Okay. So the one who received five talents, man, he did great. He went off at once and traded with them. He was a day trader. And he made five more in the same way the one who had made two talents made two more talents. But the one who received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, here's something that you may not know, but they would have known in the original audience. Burying something of great worth was not only an okay thing to do, it was a recommended thing. It was even understood as an honorable thing to do. If someone put this incredible treasure in your hands and they said, please caretake this for me, there weren't banks with vaults. One of the most, one of the most responsible things you could do with this great treasure would be to bury it, to safely keep it somewhere so that when the master came back, you could say, okay, I have kept it. In fact, listen to this conversation. After a long time, the master of those slaves came back and settled accounts. Then the one who received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You made money for me. I've put you, I've put you in charge of, uh, with a few things. Now I'll put you in charge of many things. And to the one with two talents, who made two talents, came forward saying, look, I made two more. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, master, I knew that you were a harsh man. Remember, this isn't Jesus, so don't let this hurt your feelings, Okay. I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seeds. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, he probably was very glad to say, I did not risk losing your money. I did the right thing with it. We kept everything status quo. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. This is when he says, now take his talent and give it to the one who has more. Man, this is really confusing stuff, right? Because if you do think this is Jesus, if you do think this is a representation of God, then what kind of God does all of that? It's not about God. But it is about us. And it's not the only time in the Gospels that Jesus will use a very difficult and kind of an ugly financial situation to make a point. It's as if Jesus is saying, look, even in the ugly financial world, even in the ugly financial world, 
when you're given a gift, you should do something with it. Even in the financial world, when you are given this great incalculable gift, the people who are running the business world say, are you going to do something with it or are you just going to hide it and hoard it? Jesus is saying, you have been given, Jesus is saying to the people of faith, you've been given a great gift. You've been given this gospel message. You you have been given the gift of God's self. You've been given the gift of life that you would not have had otherwise. What are you doing with it? It strikes me that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will say this, like, you're the salt of the earth. That salt should do something. Don't don't let it lose its saltiness. He also says right there, you are the light of the world. So make sure that you don't put that light somewhere where it can't be seen. He's probably having a very direct conversation with folks pretty well steeped in their theological tradition. A group of people who thought, no, the highest hope of faith is that we would live according to the law, that we would conserve, by whatever means, that we would conserve what has been. And Jesus saying, but we're supposed to build on what has been toward what could be. These gifts that I've given you are not meant to be hidden, buried, hoarded. They are meant to be employed. You are meant to live with open hands. Church, are you living with open hands where the gifts of grace are concerned? Or does the grace stop with you? N.T. Wright says, in what sense have these people been given something that corresponds to the gift of the talent? The scribes and the Pharisees had been given the law of Moses. They had been given the temple, the sign of God's presence among them. They had been given wonderful promises about how God would bless not only Israel, but through Israel, the whole world. And they had buried them in the ground. They had turned the command to be the light of the world into an encouragement to keep the light for themselves. And they had thus become worthless slaves. Or, local scholar and hero of mine, guy by the name of Dr. Tashton, has said this. <laughs> the gospel is not something to hoard or to hide. It must be invested for the sake of others. Or else it's not the gospel. Did you ever consider that the decision that you made at some point to follow Jesus was meant to better somebody else's life. Have you considered that the decision you made long time ago, maybe you're a Thursday night of church camp kind of believer. God bless you, love those stories. But do you realize that that story, that story of your moment of conversion was never meant to stop with you? If, if the height of your story is that I did say yes to Jesus and since that time I have been well behaved and I've kept to myself, then your best days are ahead of you. 
Your best days are ahead of you. Yes, it feels really good when you finally recognize that the God who knows you, really, really knows you, still chooses you. That feels really good. And it feels even better when you, armed with that kind of grace, can dispense that kind of grace. Christian, are you dispensing the kind of grace that you enjoy? Christian, to be Christian is not just to receive grace. It's crucial. It's crucially important. But the project isn't completed until you dispense it. Having been loved, we Christians are the people who then turn around and love. So God knew I needed this gift of this little breather of, a, of the fall retreat. We just went down for one night. Dad spoke three times while we were down there. But what I did notice was <laughs> there were 11 kids there who are the children of folks who were in the youth group 20 some odd years ago. 11. And I was trying to have this discussion with my Sunday school class this morning. And I should preface it by saying that this, this may not be of interest to very many of you. And that's okay. But if you have any interest in a faith that can be moved and transmitted, communicated, gifted to the next generation. If you have any interest in perpetuating this understanding of the essence of life, which goes something like this, God's mind about us, it's made up in the news is good. If you have any interest in seeing how it might be that that truth, when properly placed, can change all of life, and not just for you, but for the people around you. If you have any interest in being a part of the advancement of that kind of kingdom, then I hope that you'll have some interest in what I've observed about those families who did, who were able, it seems at this point, who were able to say, yeah, I'm gonna push this to the next generation. You ready? I workshopped this with my class, so if it's no good, you can blame them because I tried to do this with my class this morning, right? These three observations. Faith is not a straitjacket for these families. It's deep breath. It doesn't start with a discussion of all the things that we don't get to do. <laughs> it starts with, what is possible in this life if God loves then in and through me, the people around me? I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say, the folks that I have seen now for the second generation, they are enjoying faith. It's fun. Second, and I've coached Gamblin, uh, who coaches for Mid-America Christian, uh, and Coach Doris, wherever you are. Uh, we know what it means to, to say that somebody's a gym rat. Gym rats are always in the gym. Here's something else that I recognize about the families who were able to perpetuate faith. They don't do faith at a distance. They're involved. They're involved. In fact, a couple of my old youth group kids were there as sponsors. 
And they were the fun kind that kind of let you do things, right? They were the fun kind of sponsors. And third, these are folks who love well. These are folks that you, these families, seem to be people that you'd enjoy being around because you would feel cared for. These are folks who live with open hands. They, they come with open hands to the table, but they don't then clench their fists. They actually live with open hands so that you end up being the recipient of the grace that came first to them, let's say. There's a young 12-year-old there whose dad was in the youth group so many years ago. Man, he was a handful, right? And has since wandered away from faith. Watched a family member die slowly and painfully and he has wandered away from faith saying, I don't think I can do this. If that's, if that's what happens, I don't think I can do this. And yet there she was in fall retreat. Now he's not coming, but he kinda wanted her to go to fall retreat. And if you ask him why, says, oh, I know that she'll be cared for. I know she'll be cared for. And by the way, she was and is being cared for by people who live with open hands. If you're helping us, uh, please come and, and set this table, but I wanna, I wanna go back to this. Everybody, you will, without a doubt, be asked to come to this table today with your hands cupped open to receive these gifts of grace. I'm not quite sure how we would do this today, but I do want you to have this image. When you leave the table, when you leave the table, that's not the time to start clenching your fists, closing your hands, as if somehow you have received something that you will now hide and hoard. Maybe make a point to go back to your seats or to find a place to pray Maybe as you go, maybe make sure that those hands remain open. To remind yourself, sort of a bodily reminder, that we are meant to live, not just come to the table with open hands, but we are meant to leave the table still with our hands opened. So that the grace that comes to you might bless somebody else. Father, bless these elements and with them, God. Shape us to be your people. Help us, God. Help us to perpetuate this faith, to advance this kingdom. Help us to know how to do it. Help us to know if we have been the people who have hidden or hoarded this grace because we have so desperately needed it. Help us to know that this is a grace that is meant to be invested. In a moment, I'll ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pew to your left, and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive this grace that comes to you as a gift. As you approach someone holding a plate of bread, that person will say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. They'll place a piece of bread into your hand, don't eat it, Dip it into the cup when you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you, and then take and eat. But then go find a place to pray. But maybe just be mindful of the 
posture, let's say, of your hands as you go. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we'll assume that you're there for a prayer for healing and somebody will meet you there and pray that prayer for you. Mental, emotional, physical, familial, doesn't matter. We will pray with you and believe that there is something about this prayer and the companionship of the Spirit symbolized by this oil that can help you. If you come to one of these mourner's benches up here, we won't assume anything, but at some point somebody will come by and let you know that you are not alone as you pray. But you could just circle right back around and pray at your pew, but I hope that you'll do so while remaining mindful of your hands. Remaining mindful of the gift that you have just received with open hands. But if you'll just keep those hands open, maybe it'll be a good bodily reminder that you are meant to now dispense the grace that you have just received. It was on the night that he was betrayed. Our Savior took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. In the same way, he took the cup, held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. All are invited today but none are compelled. You can sit this out if you want to, but all are invited to receive this grace. John, are you sure? You don't know what I did this morning. Doesn't matter. If you know you need grace, like I know I need grace, you are welcome here. That's what this is for. And if you want to make a special trip to remind yourself that you still belong to the people of God, that you are amongst the baptized, then let this bowl of water remind you of the moment of your baptism and your inclusion in this people of God who have the mission of God. All around the sanctuary, if you would now, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and come forward with cupped hands to receive these gifts of God meant to resource the people of God.